they're running a maid service because they want freedom just the same way that I do, but their freedom may look different than my freedom. We all just want to get through our day with loved ones and run into a little bit less frustration and have a little bit more fun. For me to do the best job that I can for the company, I think that it's always important that I'm plugged into the customers, but I don't think that I need to be the one dictating the messaging or the copy or anything like that. It brings me so much joy when we're able to remove friction from maid service owners' lives and you get a very stark reminder of just how much time and frustration that you're saving people by adding in another SMS template or stuff like that. That's like, thank God that this was driving me up a wall that I had to deal with this like every single day in the software. You get like those sort of reminders that really make it like make it worth it. I, I love our customers. Hey, welcome to the Message Market Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Silvestri. And if you're new here, this is a show where I chat with B2B SaaS folks in marketing, product, growth, and founders about how they join the conversation already happening in their customers' minds. We dive deep into their thinking, their systems, and their playbooks to see how they empathize with their audience and speak to them in a way that resonates. So they're compelled to take action. Join us and learn how you too can shape your messaging strategy and write copy that truly resonates and differentiates you. I am super excited about my guest today, Amar Goes. Amar is the co-founder of ZenMade, a maid and cleaning service scheduling platform. In this episode, we chat about Amar's unique journey from starting a maid service to creating ZenMade, his philosophy of targeting specific boring niches with sophisticated software, and the art of cultivating passion in business. We dive into the challenges and rewards of simplifying B2B messaging, and into Amar's strategies for learning from customer feedback. Let's dive right in. Amar, thank you and welcome to the podcast. How are you? Doing pretty well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. So, I don't know, it's from 2021, a tweet that you wrote and it says, build sexy software for boring niches. It's the best of both worlds. I know that you started ZenMade 2013, am I right? Uh, yes. So how did you get into B2B and how did you get into such a specific niche? So I grew up in Silicon Valley in Palo Alto, right near uh, like Google and Facebook, Apple, all of like those. So I feel like just from like a relatively like young age, I was kind of surrounded by like tech and everything. It's kind of logical to like to go into like into software. But uh, I actually had a background in sales previously, but it always been a little bit entrepreneurial. So after graduating college, I spent about three years working in sales for a couple like different companies and, you know, throughout high school and college. And then after college, I was always working on these little side projects. And so at some point, I actually started a maid service with a friend and we ran that for about 14 months. And then after that, one of my friends approached me. And essentially said like, hey, we should start a software company together. I can do the coding. You can do like the sales and marketing. It's like the classic Silicon Valley like combination. And um, yeah, we tried tried a couple different industries. We essentially wanted to talk to people and see if we could identify a problem that we could solve for them like with software. And then very quickly uh, moved over to focus on like on made services. Nice. And uh, so was it kind of a scratch your own itch kind of a business that you started? Yes and no. I mean, like, 
in hindsight, it kind of looks that way, but like the truth is not, not really. I had a maid service. I'd already shut the maid service down. It was more just that my co-founder was like, well, you already had like, like created some technology on the back end, like with your website that not all maid services have. So we can like start there. And then because I was focused on sales and was doing all cold email and cold calling, it was just much easier for me to get my foot in the door with maid service owners when I could call them and be like, Hey, like I ran my own maid service for 14 months. I don't anymore, but I wanted to talk to you about like some, like some scheduling stuff or whatever that people were much more willing to talk to me. And so in, in some ways, my background in the maid service like industry just removed some of that early friction for us. But was it scratching our own itch? No, not, not, not really. Not like the classical way. Yeah, got it. So would you say that you're passionate about the niche or is it purely a business deal? <laughs> um, it's purely a business deal, but I think it's more about like what you choose to be passionate about, right? And so like for me, I've always been passionate about kind of like the, the building of like the business, right? Or like, I, I think it's really kind of magical when you get the systems in place so things happen without you having to do anything anymore. So I absolutely love what I do day to day. And I do love that I'm essentially compensated for just thinking about problems that like that help maid service owners. But that's more like cultivated over time that I love it because it's working. And now like I love it because it like makes me like makes me a living. But, you know, if we had gone dentists interested in our software 10 or 11 years ago, I'd be just as passionate about about that. Right. So I'm passionate about like serving and helping people. But I'm not going to lie, like the specific niche is is less meaningful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I find that a lot of founder that I speak to, they they are mostly problem solvers. So they are not necessarily super passionate, as you said, about, about whatever they're working on, but they are passionate about building a system with the processes, helping people, fixing problems. And I, I definitely see a lot of like removing friction of, I think that's one thing that now, like it brings me so much joy when we're able to remove friction from maid service owners' lives. And that's something that really does mean a lot to me that like, I feel really good about that. And, um, every now and again, you, again, you get a very stark reminder of just how much time and frustration that you're saving people by adding in, you know, another SMS template or stuff like that. And it sounds like very like small, but then you get these times where you make a small improvement and you have a maid service owner that's thank God, like, you know, that this was driving me up a wall and I had to deal with this like every single day in the software. And like, you know, every now and again, you get like those sort of reminders that really make it like make it worth it. So like, you know, I, I love our customers. Yeah. And for the uninitiated, uh, could you tell us, and this is actually a question that I ask all of my clients whenever we start talking, discussing projects, who does your company help and how I find that like phrasing in this way, it's a pretty clear indicator that tells me, okay, this person has done the research, they know their thing, they know their industry, and and they know how to speak to them. So who who would you say does Zenmade speak to, um, help, and how? Zenmade exists to help maid services be more successful. That's like it in a nutshell. So we're very focused on maid services, which would be residential, like true home cleaners. We have some folks that use us for commercial cleaning. We have some folks that use us for Airbnb cleaning, but it's not what we were designed for. That's not who, like who we cater to. We may do some more stuff on the Airbnb side. Commercial is something that we're not planning on, like on moving into. And then also some housekeeping businesses. But in terms of like who we speak to from a copywriting perspective, 
it's only made service owners. Those other three groups have kind of like found us, but we're very specifically not trying to like to pick them up. I mean, in a nutshell, it's simple scheduling software. So simple scheduling software for made services, it's essentially like the tagline. That's what we get paid for. When I say that like our, our like company slogan or like why we exist is to make made services accessible is because we also put out a bunch of educational content. We've got like a popular YouTube channel, blog, resources. We put on events. We do all of these things. But all, all of that is to help the entire industry. And then we make our money on the software back end. You used to have a podcast, right? I found a couple of episodes. Did you, why did you stop we, if you did? We didn't. So the, the podcast was, we had a personality behind the podcast for a little bit, but well, yeah, she essentially got busy. It wasn't able to stay, to stay like on top of it. It wasn't like what we hired her to do, but it was nice mm. like while it lasted. And then most of our podcast content is actually just audio versions of talks that were given at summits that, that we've like hosted. So we're in the process right now of trying to restart our podcast, ah. but we, we really just need a face for it. We need a personality or someone that's going to lead it because it's not me anymore. I was the face of the business for, for, for quite a while. And it doesn't really serve us anymore for me to be the face of the business, right? That I do podcast interviews like this kind of around how I'm building Zenmate and stuff like that. You won't find me on really any podcasts anymore that are actually for main service owners. And it's just, you know, I'm not the target demographic, you know, yeah. like I'm much more a software CEO than like a maid service owner, right? Which is what I used to be back in the day. I'm curious, we talk about these maid businesses, right? Did you also narrow down to the amount of maids that they they have in their business or any other like sub specifics? Uh, it depends on kind of like what you're sort of looking at or like how you're kind of looking at that like internally we have definitions of like who our best clients are, but we can't really speak to them, right? There's no way to target maid service owners based on how many cleaners they have because mm. you just don't know that information. I mean, most of the time that information isn't even accurate in their actual scheduling software, huh. right? So like, it's not the kind of thing that, that we can go and like look for. So it's like, we have a better idea of like who we specifically like serve and like who we're best for. And, you know, if they're, they're below a certain size, then we know kind of what the pain points are in comparison to like the medium size and the large size and stuff like that. So we have that sort of differentiation. But again, like it's not really anything that we can uh, vary in terms of like targeting or uh, messaging, really. So, so let's jump into that. How I'm curious, especially the early stages, how did you go about researching your customers, starting to collect this data and... Yeah, and starting to form the message they used on the website initially. So I think in the beginning, it was just copying other websites and adapting like what they had like to us that like I'd be lying if I said that we went down and were really thoughtful about it. It's like, no, like we just knew that we needed like an explainer video. We needed a headline. We needed a sub headline. We needed like a description, right? And we probably just went on to intercom or whatever the hot new thing was like at the time took one of their designs and then like wrote our own lines. I mean, I remember very distinctly, actually, the first like uh, landing page that I sent over to my co-founder to implement back in the day. He like spent two hours rewriting the entire thing because he was so unhappy with like how it like how it had like come out. Right. So that was very early on where I only had the sales background. I hadn't I hadn't learned copywriting. I didn't know that much about like, you know, the industry and like that stuff beyond my own personal experience there. 
And so, um, you know, I remember it being a big like miss in the beginning. Now, another thing is I never consciously went out to get better at this for like copywriting purposes. This was all just kind of the role of the founder. So to date, I've spoken on the phone with, I think, 7,000 made service owners. So like, you know, in the first like year that we were in business, I probably spoke to 500 made service owners, maybe more than that, that I talked to like on the phone. So that was where I began to sort of like pull some of the language and everything and and like kind of figure out like what the wording was. And I began to realize, OK, when I say these things on the phone, which was much more natural for me, like being being in sales that like people are responding well, maybe that should go on the website. Right. Mm. And stuff, stuff like that. So that that was that was how, how I how I started. Yeah, very organic and kind of intuitive approach after it's kind of the same thing. After a while that I'm immersed in the research for clients, I realized that there's a point I, I realize, okay, now if I keep reading reviews and I keep interviewing customers, I'm not going to learn more than I already know. I kind of had that intuitive feeling, right? So kind of the same. Or it's like, right, the write like kind of what you have like in your head take what you have and do like a version of the copywriting then go talk to more people so you can get feedback on that copywriting right like there's always yeah. value in talking to more people but sometimes you need to stop talking to more people yeah. and just do the work and then restart the conversations yeah iterating yeah for sure so when it comes to your icps who would you say your top i don't know two or three personas are for zenmade the, the the main one that 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 we're focused on is who we call like mid sized Mary, which is going to be a maid service that's in the United States. Usually is going to be run by a husband and wife couple or like a middle aged woman, you know, likely in like in in um, the center of uh, of like uh, of America. They'll, yeah, be essentially mid-sized in terms of like revenue and how many cleaners um, they have. So let's say, you know, three hundred and fifty to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in like annual um, annual revenue. Usually are mothers, sometimes grandmothers care a lot about like time with family and stuff like that. Uh, the most common story for these people is they started cleaning their own home after like, you know, having a kid and stopping working or something like that. Or they were just cleaning kind of like locally as like a solo cleaner. A couple friends noticed that they were good at cleaning, asked them to clean their homes. And now you fast forward a couple of years because they usually find us four or five years like into their like into their journey that they find all of a sudden you know, quote unquote overnight, but four or five years later, now, instead of like just cleaning homes, they're now sending cleaners to different homes and they're now running, like running a business. Mm. And oftentimes it's unintentional. And so mm. that, that's like the most, like the most common story that that's the one that I know like best because it's like our primary focus. Like we, we have other ones, but like, you know, that, that, that describes our like ideal cus like client so like so accurately that the rest are kind of like afterthoughts. Super interesting. Interesting. So you mentioned that it was kind of like unintentional how they got into the business. How did you yes. how did you realize that? Was it kind of like an aha moment when you when you found out about that? Or? Um, I don't really remember, but I mean, you would just hear about it like a lot that you would hear that it was a common story. But then the main thing is just that like a lot of our customers, it sometimes feels like it's a B2B company because we're selling to other businesses, made services, but it sometimes feels B2C because of the way that they think about investment and costs and stuff like that, that like if we're being honest, just 
a, a lot of a lot of our folks because of like sort of how they ended up in the business. They don't think like business owners. So we would definitely get the objection of, oh, like, you know, it's, you know, 48 or, you know, $58 a month or $67 a month or whatever. Clearly, this is going to save me five to 10 hours a week, but it's just too expensive. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like, no, no, it's not like no business owner would ever do that math and tell you that it's expensive when it's like the core, like backbone of your business. Right. It's not like a supplementary tool or like or, or whatever. Yeah, that's just something that we've seen that has changed over the years that now a lot there's a lot more like savvy business owners that are running like running made services. But funnily enough, they tend to go with some of our competitors because of the way that our competitors are built out. So we're actually really good for these folks that and maybe weren't thinking about it that way. And then we come in and help them to really streamline their business and go from being like maybe accidental business owners to being like real professionals. I had a similar experience in, so in B2B, I worked for this company, super niche as well. They sold software for portable toilet and roll-off container companies. So you can imagine these companies are very kind of old school, right? So they, the only thing that they use to track like their routes or where their toilets are is basically spreadsheets or paper. And, and the, one of the main obstacles that we had was trying to convince them to use software, right? Because they were kind of averse to software. How were you able or how did you, how are you doing it in your co-op messaging or positioning? Um, how are you overcoming that uh, investment barrier? Because in the beginning, I was just trying to do anything I could to get people onto like onto our software. That's very much reflected in the way the business is currently set up. So in the beginning, it's like we didn't have an export, an import tool. So like the first couple customers, when they wanted to like to get to get started, you know, at some point, someone was like, this is taking me a while. Can I send you like a spreadsheet and can you guys upload it? And my response to that was, yeah, but we didn't have an actual uploader. So then we went through and just manually added it for them, right? Mm -hmm. And so we essentially have that same thing is, you know, at some point I realized, oh, actually, like that sounds like a weakness, but instead like it's concierge onboarding, right? So you send me like this file, I will format it and like upload it for you. Now we have an uploader, but we still do it internally. So everyone goes through like concierge onboarding. And so what we have is we have a variety of things like that. Like we offer them unlimited calls while like while they're getting started, we'll move over their customer information and their employee information. And if they can send us their appointment information, if they're in like Google Calendar or something, we'll actually move over their appointment information, right? That's something that none of our competitors offered to do. And we just have a team that's trained up on it. So we've automated some of that, but a lot of it you can't automate, which is why our competitors don't offer it. And so like those would be examples. But to, to, to add to that, it's the, all of the, everything that I just said is heavily emphasized in the actual like copywriting and messaging of like, hey, like we make it easier than any other platform. Like you're already like nervous about this because you wasted, you know, six months trying to get onto our competitor and it completely shut the bed, right? Like with Zen made, it's different, right? You'll know in like seven to 10 days, whether it's the right system for you. And if it's not, no harm, no foul, right? Do you find, you mentioned competitors, do you find that a lot of your customers already are coming from other solutions, similar solutions, or are they aware well, of them? I, it's clear. Close to 50-50, I would say. Ah. They're, they're definitely aware of them, right? Like if 2023 or 2024, actually, like, geez, 
uh, in 2024, like people are aware of competitors, right? No one finds Enmade and goes, oh, like this is the only software there is. I mean, they have at least 30 other software options. Most of them are not specific to like two main services. But yeah, they're they're, they're always going to be like aware of other um, of other like software and everything. So yeah, but I would say at least 40% of people I would say are probably moving over from other software and are moving to us because like we're easier to use or we offer more functionality yeah. or whatever it might be. Did you see did you see the percentage of people moving over from something similar already increasing over the years? I don't know that that one. I'm not, I'm not good with these these sorts of like these sorts of numbers. <laughs> I'm sure we've looked at that at some point, yeah. but I, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine so. I, I would imagine so because 10, 10 years ago, it's like we were still having to convince people like they should use a software yeah, exactly. at all. Whereas now it's much more of, of like, no, of course you're going to use a software, right? Like you'd yeah. be insane to stay on pen and paper. It's 2024. It's why us? I'm always kind of... Uh interested in these trends uh, because a lot of a lot of companies don't regularly update their copy their messaging to kind of mirror mm -hmm. these trends right so how how often do you think working on copy messaging is good well i think it depends on where right like i think i think like our email marketing for example we're always working on the copy there and improving the messaging because those are going out live right our website, we don't update very often. Usually it's when there's a design because our website is meant to be like classic marketing, right? We don't have any things on there that are going to like only be relevant for like the next couple of weeks or whatever. It would just be too much to manage. So it's almost like we experiment a lot more with the copy of like our social media, right? And our email and all of those things. But then we have set things in the funnel that, you know, Unless we're running A-B tests, which like we're starting to do, like to do more, we're not, we're not like really updating it, right? Uh, I mean, although A-B tests is something that I think we're going to make a habit of going forward. And so in that sense, we will be updating it, but it's not as much like updating the messaging, like thinking about like what's changing. It's more just going, oh, maybe this headline will be more effective or whatever. Yeah, the probably the only recommendation that I always have for big changes on the website is whenever you're reconsidering your positioning, right? So it might be, I don't know, every six months, maybe because you saw a new competitor popped up or that substantial changes in your products that required you to change the angle they use to speak to customers. How do you see, how did you see your positioning change, if at all? Did, did it change over the years since 2013 or is the angle they're using pretty much the same? Uh, the angle is pretty, pretty much the same, to be honest, because again, we pick like a classic, like of just like, we've always been focused on simple scheduling for made services. Mm. And as we add more features, that doesn't change, right? The point is, is that it's still simple scheduling. So yeah, I don't think that we've really like changed it, changed it too much. I mean, our brand has definitely like changed just because we went from being like the little startup to now most people assume that we're like the de facto, you know, software, which isn't entirely true. That's more like reflective of our marketing than than anything. But like the product's beginning to catch up as in like the product usage is beginning to catch up to that perception, which is nice. Awesome. I have something else that you wrote. Uh, yeah, again, back in 2021. So, and, and it says, uh, add massive value, capture some of it. Zenmade customers run over $20 million a month. And this is back in 2021 through our system each month. They deserve all the credit for that. They will absolutely find a way without us. But we help in our own small way and keep 100K to keep doing it. 
So this struck me because speaks a lot, I think, to kind of always trying to be humble and trying to put yourself in the customer's shoes. So how do you keep doing it? Like what type of research do you run for customers? Do you do interviews, surveys, polls? What do you do to keep in touch with your customers? So I feel like for, for me, this is something like I, I can go through all the things that I do, but it's less strategic and more just because like I'm very social and like I grew up kind of like online, you know, and everything. So we have two um, two Facebook groups. One is just for Zenmade customers. The other is for all made service owners, regardless of what software like they use. So that keeps they plugged into the industry mm. like nicely, right? So so that already is quite helpful. We have a private channel in our Slack where we've added I think five customers now that are main service owners uh, and multiple of our team members are in there from from Jim, our designer, to um, our marketing person who writes the emails. And we just are able to ask them questions. They're able to report bugs when they happen. So they get a little bit of like VIP treatment and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm still in support every day, despite the fact that we have, you know, 2000 customers and like a three or four person support team. I'm still in there most days, like looking at stuff. Uh, I'll occasionally jump on calls and do like a sales call every now and again because like no one's available or mm. provide support like over the phone. And so like I'm just quite active like in, in those things. You know, I used to go a lot, go, go to a lot of the made service events in the United States. Uh, I haven't really since the um, since the pandemic hit, but I may may get back to that like at some point. But I feel like I'm pretty deep into like into these things. You know, I follow all of like the major influencers. I'm friends with all of them like on Facebook. You know, like I'm friends with with lots of like our customers either on Facebook or follow them on Instagram and like quite a few of them follow me. Like I feel like one thing is I'm plugged into their lives more than just like professionally. Like on social media, it's like, you know, I'm seeing photos of like their kids and stuff like that. And I think that's something that I don't know if it gets like lost, but I feel like it's not talked about all that often, right? It's like we're all we're all human, right? Like they're running a maid service because you know, they want freedom just the same way that I do, but their freedom may look different than my freedom, right? But it's like at the end of the day, like, you know, we all just want to get through our day with loved ones and run into a little bit less frustration and have a little bit more fun and like, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I keep customers close, I feel like is the biggest thing. Yeah, I love it, especially because a lot of companies they tend to see their customers, their ICPs as these kind of buckets of demographics, you know, like age, gender, you know, like maybe interests. But I love how you phrased it and how you, how much attention you pay to, yeah, the, the emotions that they feel, the, their kind of psychology, how they think, uh, how they think about life, how they think about business. So all these different areas contribute in, yeah. I think, giving you a better idea of who your customers are and keeping in touch with them. Yeah. And I, w I was also curious about as, as the founder, co-founder, do you think that you would ever distance yourself at all from like keeping in touch with customers or will you always try to be in as in touch as possible? Like, would you ever delegate everything to your team and just trust them or no? Yes and no. Yes and no. I think that for me to do the best job that I can for the company, I think that it's always important that I'm plugged into the customers 
but I don't think that I need to be the one dictating the messaging or the copy or anything like that, right? So, so Jim, who we've mentioned on this on this pod a couple of times already, he's been jumping on calls with folks that are that are in like our private Slack channel for for customers, right? Mm. And I've been on multiple of those calls, but a couple of those have happened like without me. So, like, I want to see this seep through the entire organization, so everyone is thinking more, you know, like, like me and what I'm talking about here of being plugged into the actual lives of meat service owners yeah i mean i can't i can't imagine remaining in charge of zen made and not and not be doing at least some of this i could see cutting it down yeah. i mean i could i could see like not doing this as much and there are times where i'll go two months without ever looking at support and then there's times where i'll be in there four times a day and it'll be like helping people out and doing like all that stuff like the goal of the company is always that the company can should be able to run entirely without me but should also be set up so that I can come in anywhere that I want to, whether that's the place that like I want to develop and grow as a person or as an entrepreneur, or it's where like I just have, you know, quote unquote, like superpowers. Right. Mm. And so like, you know, I want to be able to come in and add extreme value in various places, but also have nothing miss a beat if I'm like not around. Uh, speaking of team members, how do you keep everyone aligned on Uh, your value proposition, but also your messaging throughout your channels. Not even really sure how to answer that. Cause like, I don't really like, I, I think it happens organically. Yeah, it happens. It happens organically. I mean, we have some things that are like, you know, written down of like, you know, style guides and like, and yeah. stuff, stuff like that. But I mean, if we're being honest, they're never referred to. I mean, who's going to go <laughs> and look at those every time, like you write something, right? Generally people know kind of the tone that we want to go with or like our writer Erica for example like I you know jump on calls with her like weekly and we had a transition period where she was trying to like write more like me and all of like all of that mm. stuff so like right now I think it's more just that we've got a very close-knit team where everyone kind of knows how we're yeah. going to do go about things we do encourage everyone to share right so like in the slack channel of just like hey this is the message that's like that's going up so other people can like can make suggestions and stuff and and like one thing that we like doing is having multiple people write the same message so then there's like a little bit of like to like comparison right yeah. it's not necessarily one is better but like sometimes it's a very different tack so like recently we had to ask people for reviews And one person said like, you know, something about like getting swept away or getting swept off their feet and had some <laughs> nice puns in there. And someone else was just like, hey, you said you loved us. Leave us a review. Yeah. And so we talked through both like those options and just stuff like that. You know, I feel like there's healthy discussion around our messaging that keeps us all honest. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times those like feeling forced to, I don't know, build a, like a voice style guide. Uh, sometimes it's just fluff doesn't really get used if you don't have a plan in place or the need maybe your team is not as big so i, I think that you're, you're totally right like if you if your team is close enough to customers to the product and you always are in touch with the team i don't think that's necessary at all i i even think that's probably best because you tend to as you mentioned know your customers intuitively and it all comes out natural Well, for me, I think it's also just for my, uh, for like the way specifically, like kind of my brain works is like, I love systems, but I'm not good at like, at systems at all. Huh. And so for me, it's, I was never going to take the time to document that. And so the reason we have documentation now is because our writer Erica has sat down with me, gone through these things and just as she's taking notes for herself, 
we turned that and she, she took the time to turn that into a proper guide. So now the next person that comes on, it's not necessarily they're going to read that and know how to write. They're still going to have to have those calls with me, but now they'll have a written guide alongside yeah. it as we're talking through everything. And so, so yeah, it's something that that's, that's come up organically within, within the yeah. company. Well, and when did you realize that you needed to put in place these systems or someone to start tracking these systems? When the team came and offered to do it, if we're being completely yeah. honest, <laughs> you know, like I didn't like, I at no point did I go, we need a style guide, right? Like mm. literally Erica was just like, Hey, I took the notes from like, from our calls and like put together a rough dra draft, like of like a style guide. Can you let me know if this is like helpful and if I should like go forward with it and then put that in the marketing channel. And so I looked down at a couple other people and like, oh yeah, this is really helpful. And then that's how it came up, right? So that's kind of what, what I mean is a lot of stuff that like looks genius like inside and made more has to come more, more has come from me sort of empowering the team mm. and like letting them kind of do those things. I mean, hell, like I just had a call with, with Jim like a couple of hours ago and he was telling me about this new design system that he's implementing in ZenMade. I didn't know that. I didn't ask him, ask him to do that, but it was something of value that he saw that could like accelerate things. And he just, you know, went ahead and did that. And I feel very, very blessed to have a team that, that behaves that way. Yeah, it's nice to have a great team, proactive, and also the founder needs to be able to listen mm -hmm. and, and be open to that, right? Another thing that I really liked about your approach that I saw was uh, this distinction that you made uh, about your company, the way that you see it uh, divided in media company and marketing company. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so it's more media and product uh, that that is more like media as marketing is is what, what I was thinking. So yeah. this is something that you hear talked about on some podcasts and like and all that. But I definitely realized that. So I, I'd mentioned earlier in the interview that we essentially do all these things to make made services successful, but that we're paid on the back end mm. to provide like to provide software. So like a lot of people would think about us as a software company because that's how we make our money. And I think that's useful, especially if you're a product person. But because I'm a marketing person and I had someone focused on product where regardless of what I was working on, like early on, like in the um in the company, I wasn't doing much product design or anything like that. I elected to think about the company on the marketing side as a media company. So essentially like the same way that the media that's out there, you can pay for ad space. So like there's a cleaning magazine, there's like a publication for cleaning companies that I could go and I could pay $500 a month to put an ad in there, it was looking at every single place that we could put an ad and can we create and own that asset and essentially become the media company on there. So what's interesting is that we also do paid advertising, right? And we're also paying to kind of drive people directly to the software, but then we spent a bunch of time creating essentially media assets. But to me, the way that I think of that is like content or like education slash entertainment, which I think is a much healthier way to think about it. It's not like creating media for the sake of creating mm. media. It's no, 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 like there's six specific, you know, sections that most people think about their maid service in. Can we create content around hiring, around training, around sales, around customer support, around all these things that can help people to run a better business? And if we can do that and attract the eyeballs, then it's just a matter of time or it's just figuring out how do we funnel that attention down into the uh, in, into the software. So at a very high level, I think about the company as a media company that just happens to monetize 
with software. The other really empowering thing about thinking about it that way is if our software disappears overnight, if you've always identified as a software company, that's an identity crisis because now mm. you don't have your product. If Zenmade were to lose its product overnight, I still have this massive media empire that we could immediately turn on ads aggressively and replace $50,000 a month in like it'd be an income, right? Or there's a couple of things that we could do that keeps it as like an asset regardless of the software. Yeah, it's, it's thought leadership, like establishing yourself as the authority kind of in the space. Last couple of questions. What's your strategy for learning? Where do you go about learning and what do you like to learn about? Uh, so Twitter is, uh, is, is a big one. Um, I'm reading that, um, that Hey Mr. Whipple book or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, what do you think? That, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. I started over the, um, over the weekend, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty, it's pretty solid. It's, um, well, what I like is that it's called like that classic kind of like, I feel it like classic marketing that really yeah. goes down to like first principles and what drives human behavior. It's not talking about like Twitter tactics or whatever. No. <laughs> so like, you know, that was a recommendation that I just got, like got from you. And there's a lot of people on Twitter whose like opinions I respect. And just when they recommend things, I'll like, I'll give them a look. Uh, I listen to a bunch of things. So I listen to, uh, it's, it's really a lot of like biographies. If there's anything business related these days, it tends to be biographies. I don't listen to too many like actual business books anymore. Occasionally, mm -hmm. uh, quite a few podcasts, you know, my first million and, uh, the acquisitions podcast founders podcast, uh, yeah. a couple of those more, more of my podcast listening get like directly, uh, business related. And then, um, a couple communities, the, uh, the dynamite circle, the uh let's see the SaaS academy that i'm in for like for for SaaS companies mm. uh, i think uh, i'm not sure if i'm in the exit five community yet for uh, for b2b marketers but like our, our our new marketer that we just hired uh like two or three weeks ago he's in that community now and i'm supposed to be uh, supposed to be joining and everything so yeah just a couple couple places uh places yeah. like that what do you think about slack channels i mean i mean a couple of slack channels but i don't know i'm still of the opinion that messages get lost in there it's kind of a jungle what do you think uh yeah i can't stand that i literally won't join <laughs> communities like there's like the hampton community by uh by by sam parr um oh, yeah. that was like really really good and it's got some really really high level entrepreneurs and for me it was like i looked at it and like the call for me was going to be in the middle of the night and then it was a slack channel community and i was mm. like okay well in that case i know that i'm not going to engage in the community because I, I don't have the patience for it like having yeah. ADHD and like wanting to have all the messages read. Like I've literally never been at a Slack channel that was like not directly, directly work related that's ever worked for me. So like, yeah. you know, there's a free SaaS one called SaaS Friends that's on like Circle. And so yeah. I like that community like a lot. And it's literally just because it's on a different, like a different platform, like Telegram groups, Discord, Slack, none of those work, work for me, but work for me personally. Awesome. Uh, last question, and this is a kind of a personal one. You said that your goal is to buy Arsenal football. Why is it still your goal? <laughs> I see you've been. I see you've been reading reading my uh, my, my blog. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, it's one one of those one of those things that you know. In in a perfect world, you know, I, I feel like I feel like once you get beyond a certain point, like of money. There's not really much more that money can buy that's going to like, like significantly kind of like change, change your life. And I feel like you hit that point of like, you can pretty much buy whatever you want and travel like the way that you kind of want to, maybe not like private gen status, but like 
you know, business class or like our first class or whatever. And to me, the only real reason to work for more wealth beyond there is so that I can buy a football club. And like, you know, I put it on my blog, I'm putting it out there into the world. Like, yeah. you know, if I'm going to buy a football club, it may as well be my favorite club. So exactly. I put Arsenal on there, but you know, if I fly <laughs> in anywhere on the English football pyramid, I'll be, uh, I'll be pretty happy. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much, Amar. It's been great. Uh, people can find you on Twitter. Uh, it's just Amar or your blog, The American Dream with an A. Anywhere else you would like to point people to? No, I think that's pretty, pretty much it. You can find like other socials and stuff on my, uh, my personal website or whatever. But yeah, Twitter is the, uh, Twitter is the main, main place. So, um, I mean, that, that, that's where you and I know each other from. So, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely the spot to, uh, to reach out. If you're not on there and you're watching this, you should get on there because it's awesome. So thank you, Amar. And guys, everyone check out Zen Made. It's got great messaging. I think they've done some serious work there. So I recommend you check out their homepage. Thank you, Amar. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the pod. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, the best thing you could do to support the show and help me as a small business owner would be to leave a review. Head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and let me know what you think. If you don't want to miss future episodes, subscribe. And if you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for future episodes, just hit me up on LinkedIn at Christopher Silvestri or Twitter at Silvestri Chris. Speak to you next time.